1: Thanks for joining us on Think Like an Economist which is a Himalaya Learning
0: production. Go to himalaya.com/econ to get exclusive content and enter the promo code ECON to get your first 14 days free.
1: To find out more about Himalaya Learning and to try out our extra material, head to himalaya.com/econ and get your first 14 days free by using the promo code ECON at checkout. It's time to think like an economist.
2: This is our first episode on macroeconomics, which is all about these big concepts about the whole economy.
1: How do we go from micro to macro? Well, we've got to move beyond micro decisions about you, your individual household or your individual business, to the macro landscape, which is the big picture of what's happening across the whole economy. It's about the whole enchilada.
0: And it's a big enchilada. So it's important to develop a sense of scale about it. Here's one way to help make the link from the size of your personal economy to the whole economy. Naz, I asked you earlier to grab $100. What does it look like?
2: Well, it's just a small, thin piece of paper.
0: And if you put 100 of those together, you'll have $10,000 in a small bundle that's about as thick as a pack of cards, right?
1: The average income in America is around $65,000 per person. So the average American earns six and a half of these bundles. You can hold these in your hands.
0: Now, if you want to sense what a million dollars looks like, well, a million dollars would fill a briefcase.
2: Like in a crime movie.
0: That's right. Let's go a step further. A billion dollars is a thousand million. A thousand briefcases of cash would basically fill a bus, which means that a billion dollars is a bus full of Ben Franklin's.
1: That's physically a lot of cash. But that's still not enough. Macroeconomics is often about trillions of dollars, If a billion dollars is a bus stuffed with cash, then a trillion dollars is a thousand buses, which you could probably fit in a standard football field. So a trillion dollars is a football stadium stacked with cash to a bit above your head, Naz.
0: The total output of the United States economy is a bit more than $20 trillion a year. So if you want to think about the total value of what we produce each year, imagine your favourite football stadium with $100 bills stacked up to the very highest seats.
1: And that's how we can think about the size of the US economy. Our total output of $20 trillion is what economists call Gross Domestic Product, or GDP. And GDP is the topic of today's episode of Think Like an Economist, with me, Betsy Stevenson.
0: And I'm Justin Wolfers. We're going to help you transform your life using economics. And journalist and former economics student Nazdaran tavakoli Far joins us.
2: So this is the episode where we start getting into these slightly scary and also fascinating concepts. GDP. I think most of us think of it as being like the value of everything. But
1: what exactly is GDP? Gross domestic product is the market value of all Final goods and services produced within an economy in a year. So, you
2: mean if we add up everything we do, from making high tech computers and medical equipment, to teaching people at schools, to growing wheat, to selling haircuts, to making and selling furniture and everything, really?
1: Yep, that's right. The total value of all these goods and services we produce in a year adds up to around. 20 trillion in the U.S. To make this easier to understand, we tend to divide total output by the number of people. So currently GDP is around 65,000 per person in the United States. This is still a big concept, though.
0: It is. So let's break down the definition a bit more.
2: Gross domestic product is the market value of all final goods and services produced within an economy in a year.
0: Right at the start, we're saying GDP is the market value. That's because GDP is literally an exercise in adding apples and oranges. If a farmer produces a bunch of apples and another produces oranges, we've got to figure out how to add up these apples and oranges. We do this by adding up their value measured in dollars. So if apples sell for $2 a pound and oranges are $1, then we say that each pound of apples adds twice as much to GDP as oranges'. According to GDP, then, an apple or an orange or whatever is worth whatever its price tag says it's worth.
2: The next bit of our definition are the words of all, as we're saying the market value of all final goods and services.
0: GDP counts everything that's produced. This includes the price of all computers that we make and the price of all teachers working for a year. That's their wage. And the price of all the wheat a farmer sells and so on. It even includes the things that the government buys for you, such as healthcare or national defence.
2: Then the next part of the definition is about all final goods and services.
0: Yes,
1: this bit about final goods is a bit tricky. It means that we're going to count the value of your Apple laptop that you just bought as part of GDP because it's a final good and you are the final user. But we're not going to count the components that went into that laptop, like hard drives and memory chips that Apple bought along the way as it was manufacturing it. That's because the value of each of those individual components that went into making the laptop all go into the final sale price. So we want to make sure we're not double counting. So we just focus on those final goods, which is in this case, the laptop, not the ingredients used to make it.
2: Okay, back to the definition of GDP, the market value of all final goods and services produced within an economy in a year. Next up is the term produced.
0: That's there because there are a lot of things that we buy that don't count in GDP. Say you buy a secondhand car. This may be a new purchase for you, but there's been no new production because the car already existed.
1: The value of secondhand goods would have been counted as GDP back when they were sold the first time but not now that they're being resold as secondhand.
2: That makes sense. We're almost done with our definition of GDP. Next is within a country.
1: GDP is about what we're producing domestically. If someone in the U.S. buys a Toyota car from Japan, that isn't part of U.S. GDP because the car wasn't produced in the U.S. But I guess Japan
2: would include that car in its GDP figures.
1: Exactly. So GDP includes the market value of exports but not imports. And the final
2: part of the definition is in a year.
0: GDP is a flow as we're measuring the values of things being produced in a specific period of time. Think of it this way, just as water flowing into a bath raises the level of the water, the new stuff we produce each year raises the resources available to us. GDP measures how much water we're adding to our macroeconomic bath. To measure this flow, we look at GDP over specific time periods, like a year, or sometimes a shorter period, like a quarter, which is three months.
2: Just a final point before we move on. So now we've gone through the definition of GDP, we often hear the words nominal GDP or real GDP as well.
0: Yes. Nominal GDP adds up the value of all the apples and oranges and other stuff we produced based on their current prices. But prices rise over time, a process we call inflation. We've got an episode of Think Like an Economist on inflation coming up in a few weeks. Inflation means that even if we don't change how many apples or oranges or other stuff we produce, nominal GDP might still rise if the prices of all these goods rise.
2: So our nominal GDP figure will rise, but this is due to inflation, not because we're producing more in the economy.
0: That's right. So, real GDP adjusts for inflation and also lets us make comparisons over time about how much actual stuff we're producing without inflation clouding things.
3: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car, you should love your car.
1: So far, we've been talking about how GDP is a measure of everything we produce, but here's the amazing thing about GDP. It's also simultaneously a measure of our total spending, and it also measures the total amount of income that's earned in the economy.
2: Okay, let's break this down a little. So you're saying it measures total output as we're adding up everything we produce. And we've just looked at that. But you're also saying that GDP measures total spending?
1: Yes. Basically, everything that gets produced gets sold. Remember that we value output according to its price tag. So the total value of what we produce must be equal to the total amount that people spend.
0: And to calculate this, we can look at all the potential buyers of the stuff we produce. When you and I buy stuff, it's called consumption spending. When businesses spend money on machines and the like, we call it investment. And when the government spends money on our behalf, it's called government spending.
1: And the final source of spending is that foreigners sometimes buy our stuff, and we call that exports.
0: In fact, GDP counts our exports minus our imports. This gets tricky, but I don't want you to think that this is because imports subtract from GDP, because they don't. If you bought a Toyota car that was made in Japan, that's mechanically counted as part of your consumption spending. But it should count toward the GDP of Japan rather than America, which is why we have to subtract imports like that Toyota from America's GDP.
2: So we're saying that GDP is also equal to total spending in an economy in a given year. And total spending adds up consumption, government spending, spending on investments, and also exports minus imports. That's right. And to fully understand GDP, you're also saying that GDP is equal to total income.
0: It is. Think of it this way. Every dollar I spend is a dollar of income for someone else. So total spending is also total income.
1: I like to think that this makes GDP more relatable. It's not just the economy's total output or total spending on what we produce. It's also a measure of our total income. So next time you hear about what's happening to GDP, realize that you're learning about what's happening to income.
0: And that gives us one more way to think about GDP. When you divide total GDP by the population, you get GDP per person. Another way of saying this is that GDP per person measures average income.
2: Our key takeaway here is that GDP is actually three things. It measures the total output in the economy. It also measures the total spending in an economy. And it measures the total income in that economy. This is all cool and everything, but I'm already imagining some problems, or rather some things that aren't in GDP, which are probably important. GDP does have limitations, and it's
1: really important
2: to be aware of them. First off, I'm thinking we're focusing on prices as how much we value something. But there are things we use a lot and really value that we don't really pay much money for.
1: You mean like my morning coffee? I only pay a couple dollars for it, but I really need coffee. And I'd be willing to pay a lot more. GDP just doesn't understand my coffee cravings. And it says the coffee's worth whatever its price is, regardless of how much I would actually pay for it.
0: The problem is that GDP ignores your consumer surplus, Betty, And that can be a really big deal when there's a lot of stuff that you really value, but you pay nothing for.
2: We talked with our friend Eric Brynjolfsson, who's the director of the Digital Economy Lab at Stanford University. And he told us all about this.
0: Economists look at GDP and productivity, which is based on GDP, to understand how the economy is doing. But what most people don't understand is GDP is not a measure of the value created. It's a measure of the production costs. And if you really want to know what people value, you need to look at something like consumer surplus and producer surplus. The digital economy has a lot of free goods, a lot of 0 price goods like Wikipedia, instant messaging, email, search, social media, And most of those goods don't show up in GDP because they have zero price. More and more of the economy is digital, which means we're getting more and more free stuff through the internet and through our smartphones. And we kind of take it for granted that this stuff is free, but it's a big chunk of the economy.
2: So that's one limitation. I'm also thinking a lot of people do work that's really valuable, but they're not getting paid for it. Things like taking care of your kids, or making your own dinner, or growing a veggie garden.
1: You know, this is really important output, but because it's not bought and sold in a market, it isn't counted as GDP. We shouldn't ignore those efforts when we're evaluating the economy, but unfortunately, GDP does exactly that. And because a lot of this uncompensated work is done by women, feminist economists like me have argued it's a major shortcoming of GDP. And are there other
2: important goods or services that are missing from our GDP figures?
0: Yeah, there's lots of dodgy activities that occur in the shadows and that are never reported to the government. Your local drug dealer is probably not reporting their annual revenues, and businesses trying to dodge taxes underreport their sales. And that $60 in cash I paid my babysitter last week won't end up being recorded if he doesn't report the income to the government either.
1: We call these activities the shadow economy, and it can be pretty big. Economists have estimated how much bigger GDP would be if we could count the shadow economy. They run surveys, analyze audits, and track things like how many $100 bills are in circulation, because they're often used by drug dealers and other illicit activity. In the United States, the shadow economy would probably add another 8% to the official GDP numbers, While in Italy, it's estimated to be worth a whopping 23% of their GDP.
0: The way we measure GDP also undervalues the environment. When Apple makes a laptop, someone has to mine the rare earth metals needed to make the silicon chips. And it burns fossil fuels to power its factories. And someone has to chop down trees for the boxes it sells them in. All of this sounds pretty destructive. But our GDP calculations value all of this as if it were a positive.
2: Yeah, so what about the fact that mining creates pollution, cutting down trees kills an essential source of oxygen, and burning fossil fuels destroys the atmosphere?
0: None of this is counted. Instead, GDP sees that Apple created a laptop, which it counts as a good thing, and it doesn't take into account the cost of how this production also degrades the environment. It's like a tree has no value until it's chopped down and used to make something else.
1: Another problem with GDP is that it's so focused on production... That it doesn't count leisure.
2: And why does this matter?
1: Well, if you work more, you're being paid more, and you're producing more, but you're also not resting as much, getting to see friends and family, or even just reading a good book. There may be no dollar value on those things, but we benefit from them.
0: Gosh, yes. And there's one more problem, Naz. GDP is designed to measure the total amount of output spending or income. It's the total size of the pie. But I think inequality is really important. The problem with macroeconomic measures like GDP is that by focusing only on the size of the pie, they totally ignore this. It's like GDP counts an extra dollar as being just as valuable if it goes to Bill Gates as if it goes to a single mother.
2: Often we hear GDP being used to describe how well people are doing, as though GDP tells us something about living standards and, dare I say it, well-being. And we talk about higher GDP as meaning a better life. Now, is this accurate?
0: It's a bit like the age-old question of, can money really buy us happiness?
2: Exactly. And you're both the world experts in these very studies.
0: You probably want me to say that money doesn't have anything at all to do with how well we're living. But Betsy and I have studied the numbers, and they show otherwise.
1: We've analyzed surveys which ask millions of people around the world how happy they are, and we find that life satisfaction is higher in countries which have higher GDP per person.
0: We don't know precisely why this is, but we do know that when GDP is higher in a country, it's likely that people are living better day-to-day. They can afford better food, they can afford appliances that can help their day-to-day they have access to education and health care and other things that can really improve their lives.
1: GDP essentially measures the resources in an economy. And our data shows that if you have more resources, you're likely to be living better. And that includes being happier.
0: Our data even shows that more GDP is related to people smiling and laughing more. Not just that, if you live in a country with high GDP, you're also less likely to suffer pain, you'll get more education, live longer on average, and you'll be less likely to lose a child when they're an infant. And countries with higher GDPs also tend to give their citizens more rights.
1: It really does seem like even though there are a bunch of issues with GDP, ultimately it does a pretty good job of measuring our quality of life see,
2: Justin, today's episode was our first big adventure into macroeconomics. How would you summarize all of this?
1: The big idea is that we measure the size of an economy in terms of gross domestic product, or GDP.
0: You could say there's three big ideas here, because gross domestic product is a measure first of our total production. Second, it's a measure of our total spending. And third, it's a measure of our total income.
2: The thing that really helped me most is to understand that GDP per person is a measure of the average income per person. I can see both the weakness in this, which is that other things matter, and the strength, which is that greater income and greater resources probably are related to our level of material well-being.
1: So my homework for our listeners over the next few days is to think about how each of your activities are reflected in GDP. Is the coffee you make in the morning counted? Would it count differently if you bought it from a cafe? If you bought it from a cafe, would it count as much as you value it? Is your work counted? What about your days off? Do these different activities get enough emphasis? And will all those numbers reflect your well-being?
0: They're big questions, Betty, but they're also very personal questions. And that's a key idea I want our listeners to keep in mind as we continue to explore macroeconomics. How each of our lived experiences show up in these big macroeconomic numbers.
2: These are questions that are going to be worth bearing in mind over the next few weeks as we continue to dig into the big issues of macroeconomics.
0: Hey Naz, so now we're ready for my favourite economist dad joke of all time. Ready? Yep. What do plumbers, trash collectors and economists all have in common?
2: Um, I don't know, Justin, what what do they have in common?
0: They all deal with gross domestic product.
2: Justin,
1: that's terrible.
0: Oh, come on. I bet our listeners recognize my dad joke is three things. It's gross, it's domestic, and it's my product. So my joke about gross domestic product is now part of our gross domestic product.
1: (laughs) Thanks for listening.
0: There's a lot more from this show and others like it on the Himalaya Learning Platform.
1: Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app, on the go.
0: For exclusive content, including bonus episodes and supplemental materials, go to himalaya.com slash econ and enter promo code econ at checkout for your first 14 days free.
1: Himalaya.com slash econ has loads of great shows like ours, so try it out. Using the promo code ECON at checkout to get your first 14 days free. It's time
0: to think like an economist. Look around. You can find cars like these on
2: AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.